Hi, this is John Mulder, Executive Director of the Trillium Institute, along with Jason Beckrow, welcoming you to Palliative Matters. We are palliative doctors who treat patients and families who are dealing with difficult medical circumstances. We'd like to share what we've learned along this journey. How are you doing today, Jay? John, I'm doing really good. It's always a pleasure to see you. Always a joy to be engaged in deep thought. I always enjoy these conversations, too. It does give pause for consideration and enlightenment, uh, joy, and sometimes even a little contemplative sorrow, which is not all a bad thing. And I guess to that point, I I was just reflecting on uh, some of our previous discussions about hope and realized that we've not exhausted that topic at all, and I think that that's always worthwhile having a conversation about. We're still, at this moment, embroiled in a pandemic that doesn't seem to have an end anywhere in the near future anyway. People continue to get to the hospital, on ventilators in the ICU. They're just, uh, people are dying, and it just doesn't seem to be an end in sight. And for a lot of people, that discourages them, and it impacts their hope for the future, and even their hope for tomorrow. Just today I got another text from another family member that has now been stricken with COVID, and they're going to have to manage that recovery. And and these things seem to happen on a fairly regular basis. And so I'd be curious just to kick this off, what kind of reflections you're having about hope these days? Yeah, a lot. You know, as you mentioned, we are now gosh, over 18 months, um, it won't be long, we'll be pushing on two years in the throes of a worldwide pandemic. Certainly is testing our resolve, our resiliency in in all ways, professionally, personally, um, interpersonally, testing that for our patients, testing it amongst our colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. And and, and lately I have been impressed every day. I, I try to find at least something Um, It might be one small thing that I can think about as I end my day and think about going home that that gives me hope. And lately, what's been giving me a lot of hope is as I've been connecting with patients and their families, uh, again, experiencing for for many of them, I'm meeting them on perhaps the worst day of their life and probably one of the worst weeks of their life for sure. How they define hope and what they're hoping for. Uh, that, that really, I, I find fascinating because really in how we define our goals and what it is we're hoping for can really uh, uh, help us find something positive in the midst of, of something incredibly difficult. And I'm thinking right now of a gentleman I met last Saturday, so not quite a week ago. He had been married to his beautiful bride for 62 years. She's 85. He probably was 80 six, you know, I'd guess a year or two older than his wife. And his hope at that time was to take her home. And as we talked, you could tell he had made peace with the reality that what this disease, uh, she had COVID-19 and it attacked her lungs, that her lungs were not going to be made to be 18 again, that they were, you know, maybe at the best they could be. But his goal was to get her home where he could care for her, knowing that uh, that time could be very short, but it was just, he reminded me how he had taken a vow and in sickness and in health. And you could tell the poor man's heart was breaking, but he knew he had a job to do and he honored that. He had hope that they would get home and we were able to help him honor you know, that wish. She has since passed away, 
but he was able to get her home to care for her, to honor that wish, and to know that we were able to help him with that sense of hope gives me a great sense of hope myself that in the midst of some difficult times, we can find something positive to help each other in their healing. One of the better definitions of hope that I've seen uh, comes from uh, Jerome Groupman, who's a hematologist oncologist. Mm -hmm. He wrote a wonderful book entitled The Anatomy of Hope. And his definition in that book is that hope is the elevating feeling we experience when we see in the mind's eye a path to a better future. There's a lot to like about that if you unpack it. And a lot of times mm. people think about hope as something uh, as more of a wish or a dream. Um, there are some people that, that think of hope in the same term as an expectation, which I, I would say are two different things. You know, a farmer plants a crop in the spring. He has an expectation there's going to be a harvest in the fall. He doesn't have to hope. Gosh, I hope it grows. No, his experience suggests mm -hmm. that, that, you know, in science and everything else, now he might hope for a, a favorable weather pattern, but he knows that that's going to grow. I'm thinking about the gentleman that you just referred to, who his hope was, in, in his mind's eye, the path to the better future was getting his wife home so they could share those last moments together. And it's very possible that at some point in time, his hope was that she would be cured from her COVID and she would get better and, and life would go along as it was before. And a lot of times I see that kind of hope, which sometimes can lead to discouragement when we're hoping for things that really physiologically may never happen. Or we're hoping that maybe I could experience life again as I did 10, 15, 20, 40 years ago. That yes, I could go out and hit that tennis ball again or drive a golf ball 270 yards Okay, I never really did that, but you kind of get the point. You, you make an excellent point. And, and, and as you talked about uh, Dr. Grootman's definition of hope and uh, an elevated feeling, thinking of a, a potential future, and that got me thinking about the contrast from hope to hopeless, from feeling hopeful to feeling hopeless. And as you just described, a lot of that is what the goal and the expectation is. And you're, when you referred to my patient, yes, there was a time when the hope of he and his bride were that she would be cured and, again, walk home and, and things such as that. But at some point, that evolved into the more modest goal of getting his wife home. You just pointed out each and every one of us wake up every day and what we choose to hope for, the goals we set can oftentimes affect our feeling of hopefulness or hopelessness. And I'd be curious if, if you have any thoughts on that. And again, our roles then uh, professionally in helping folks achieve that sense of hopefulness. If we go back to the Groupman definition, uh, that last part, when we see in the mind's eye a path to a better future. Hopelessness begins to occur then when someone cannot see a path to a different future. And so our job, I think, as clinicians, in fact, let's expand that. Our responsibilities as friends, as coworkers, as family members, is to help people define their goals and therefore what they can and perhaps could be hoping for and hoping in. You know, one of the questions I always sometimes start out when I have folks that have very challenging uh, situations is, so what is it you're hoping for right now? 
I don't mm -hmm. give them the definition of hope. I let them kind of define for themselves what that kind of hope might be. And then let them kind of decide for themselves uh, what might be a reasonable goal and something that would work for them uh, in terms of just looking forward. And sometimes we have to help them reset the anchor or kind of reframe you know, the goals. Um, I had a patient once who had uh, mesothelioma, and she was extraordinarily compromised by that. Hard time breathing, bed confined. Uh, for those that are not familiar with a mesothelioma, other than they know that there are TB ads um, giving you telephone numbers of attorneys if you have the disease, but it is a it is particularly unusual, rare type of lung cancer that really constricts the lungs and make it very, very difficult to breathe. And this lady had um, been just a ray of sunshine in her life, and she was very active and vibrant, and now she was in the inpatient hospice unit, afflicted uh, by this disease. And I walked in the room once to see her, and she seemed uh, more sullen and just kind of flat and just not a lot of joy radiating at this moment. Certainly people have good days and bad days, but I said, what's going on today? She said, you know, I just realized kind of what's, what's the whole purpose of this anymore? I just lie in bed. Someone has to help feed me. I watch TV, and then I do the same thing tomorrow. I'm just not sure what the value of all this is. And I shared with her, I said, you know, one of the things you don't realize is that when people walk into your room, and this might be the nurse, it might be the aide, it might be the person who's just simply emptying your trash, you ceaselessly smile, pass along joy, a kind word, you lift their spirits in ways that you probably don't appreciate and understand how important that is. Their spirits lifted, they leave this room and they go into the next room, and that person is lifted as well by the spirit of the person who just walked in, who has been positively impacted by what you gave to them, by your kindness, by your smiles, and by your joyful persona. So don't for a moment think that somehow your life has less value simply because you can't get out of bed anymore. People are being blessed up and down this hallway because of you. She was very thoughtful about that, and then this little look of contentment crossed her face, and I saw that smile back again. And so I think that even in the most desperate of circumstances, we can find reasons to help people find some hopefulness within, within their moment. Sort of the joy of feeling, being in service to others. I was just uh, writing that down. You helped your patient see the gift she was able to give. You mentioned maybe did or did not appreciate or, or recognize that. You helped give light to that. And she recognized she is serving others by her presence and her gifts. I think it's one example. That sounds uh, pretty remarkable. Well, you know, I, th I think it was a, it was a nice moment. Um, and I think it reflects mm -hmm. one way that hope can be embraced and, and really uh, to shine a light on that. I remember another time, I, it, was, it was May, I still remember the time of the year very well, and we were having a conversation with, this, uh, with a patient who had a very aggressive cancer, and we did not anticipate she was going to live more, maybe not even a few weeks. 
So I asked her what was important to her, what was, what was sacred to her and valuable and meaningful. And as we talked about a limited life expectancy, what she might want to accomplish, you know, what, what, what's really important to you? And she said, well, and this was with a, with a note of discouragement. She's typically the most important time of the year for me was Thanksgiving because that's when all the family got together. The one time in, in our family year that everybody sets aside, prioritizes, we get together to be able to celebrate these moments together and to give thanks. And I just, I don't have any hope that I'll be able to see that this year. And I said, well, how about we do this? Let's plan Thanksgiving on Memorial Day. Here's the deal. You can get a turkey at the, at the grocery store, all the fixings you mm -hmm. want, and have and Memorial Day becomes your Thanksgiving this year. And she got very excited. Her daughter, who was with her, started smiling a little bit, and they started making out their grocery list right there and became very excited about the opportunity. And then as you just saw the spirits lift, you saw this path to a better future, right? This, this hopefulness that came from this opportunity and the excitement that surrounded that. And then in what was somewhat of a cute moment, I saw this, this look come across my patient's face just almost hoarse, just, oh my gosh. I said, what? What happens if I live to November? <laughs> we had a little chuckle about that. And I Buy said, an extra turkey. We do it all over again. <laughs> so, but we, wow. just, we just reframe, we re-anchor, and we, we give opportunities for what's important to someone to manifest itself in, in a way that they can see the positive moment for what it is. Yeah. I'd like to uh, build off that word frame, reframing. And again, that word uh, expectations, right? The farmer that plants the uh, field in the spring expects to harvest the crop in the fall. And I'm thinking now in terms of um, critical illness, life-limiting illness for our patients. And I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of um, throw a thread to connect this now to where we are professionally amongst our, our colleagues as well. But that concept of framing, you, you made a really good point there. We can, we can create goals and expectations based on that framing to find you know, the joy, the positivity, the ability to serve others, the ability to achieve goals and milestones. For patients, again, it can go from initially, it's usually how do we cure the disease we were just diagnosed with? But for incurable circumstances, that oftentimes can evolve into how can I live with this disease? How can I live best with this disease? If my lifespan is limited, what can I do with the time I have to make the most of it? How can I serve others in this time? How can I leave a lasting legacy? And professionally, John, we on a regular basis are engaged in these conversations and, and we, we probably we're spoiled in a little bit that we, we get to be backstage with folks at these incredibly difficult and incredibly meaningful times in their lives and the lives of their families. Because again, remember what happens today to the patient, the patient may be here today and gone tomorrow, but the memories that are created could become stories that are told for generations throughout that family. And that's what I tell my students when they're on our service. Remember when you are with your patient and their family, that's um, something we say and do today can potentially will be remembered for generations to come, both good and bad, 
and thus emphasizing what can we do to provide hope and something positive. And as you were talking about that concept of reframing, I'm thinking about what we're doing professionally right now. It's not a time to just provide false hope. Hey, yeah, it's a bad pandemic, but it's going to get better. And come on, everyone, uh, put a smile on and buck up, everyone. It's going to be fine. We need to find evidence and frame things so that we can test that and, and know that. What gives me hope, as I think professionally, and just seeing this in my colleagues, you know, our colleagues in the ER right now, the ICU, you know, in my hospital right now, we basically have a stand-up ICU in the ER, people on gurneys in the hallways that can't get upstairs. And that can feel on the surface like a very hopeless situation. But seeing folks, you know, medical professionals, doctors, nurses, technicians, everyone in the hospital helping each other out, framing things in a uh, what can we do here that's positive. Again, I'm going to circle back to my patient who did not survive COVID-19, but we collectively worked together. The ER doc and the ICU doc brought this patient to my awareness. We were able to get our team in place, get her home, and serve this patient for their dying wish. And when I shared that story with my ER and ICU colleagues, the warmth that was given and to be able to do that on a routine basis and to help each other again i think that's what gives me hope and we can give hope to each other uh, again to borrow from the definition you mentioned uh, working toward a future state that's better than where we're at and a lot of that is just simple giving grace and support to each other always love the word grace that's something that we all need and Amen. we all should be we all should be giving i think that sometimes it's really hard to to see that future when you're in the midst of something that's very desperate. I think that sometimes only in retrospect can we see the, what was yielded by this moment of trial. As an oncologist, I know that, well, I guess recovering oncologist, now that you are kind of more firmly planted in the palliative space, but you saw <laughs> undoubtedly, I know that even in my area, I've seen a lot of patients with cancer who had very, very difficult runs. And, and maybe even at this point, don't have a disease that they can cure. When you talk to them about their experiences, where they are now, and what they've learned, I have occasionally patients who would say, you know, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But I wouldn't trade it for the world, what I've learned about mm -hmm. myself, what I've learned about others, and the level of compassion that I've seen, and the, both the grace and the humility that has come into my life. Um, is truly inspiring and i have i'm just so grateful for that it gives me hope as i go through my professional career i'm always looking at how can i teach someone and how can i demonstrate to someone the opportunities for hopefulness when all seems hopeless so that's one of the things that i continue to be challenged by we have the gift now of experience. And oftentimes we share that with our patients. However, it's oftentimes our patients who first share that with us. Our ability now to see a future state is based on those experiences. And so how in the midst we can be both teacher and learner receiving the gift as we try to share the gift. 
I think that's huge. How much have we all learned from our patients and been humbled by what we have learned from them and how we've been inspired by them? You know, Jay, you started out uh, the beginning uh, about talking about the opportunity to look for a moment of hope within each day. And it reminded me of something that I teach to the medical students. Although it starts out as something that they can recommend for their patients, I tell them this is something that they all need to do on a daily basis. And this is a gratitude journal. And for those listening who are not familiar with the concept of a gratitude journal, it is a very, very simple concept. It's so simple that there's no reason that everybody should not do that. And so here's what it involves. The, the last thing you do before your head hits the pillow at night, you jot down three things for which you were thankful for today. It's simple. It's quick. It could be something as, I'm glad that the winds died down, and with a relatively calm afternoon. I just sort of enjoyed that. I had a really wonderful cup of hot tea this morning. I saw this bird perched on the limb of the tree, and it just it brought me a moment of joy. Wow, I just listened to one of the best podcasts I've ever heard today. So the joy can come from anywhere. The, the thankfulness, and it can be a negative one. I'm glad it didn't rain today. But just three things for which you're thankful. And this has actually been studied. And what they've found is that writing it down, chronicling it, can have a positive impact. It does better than just thinking about it. You can write it down on the back of a napkin. You might have an actual paper journal that you write it in. Uh, you can put, just put it in the memo section of your phone. There's actually an app that Duke University did on this that you can go to this app and enter your three things for which you're thankful for. So chronicling it seems to make a difference. It also seems to make a difference if you do it just before bed. They've actually demonstrated better sleep hygiene, better sleep patterns. People wake up more refreshed and seem to have a better day when they do it just before they go to bed. I tell the students, you can certainly do it during the day. There's never a time when it's not appropriate to be thankful. But this one simple thing that'll take you just a minute, if not even that, of identifying those three things for which you're thankful today and then close the book on that and go to bed. What a difference that makes in terms of attitude and hopefulness. Tonight in mine, it'll say, I got to chat with Jay today. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you, John. And I was going to say something very similar. And anyone who's been through residency and been sleep deprived resonate with what I'm about to say, which is just about every night when I go to sleep, I still remember being a resident and not being able to sleep and how when we were on call, if our head ever did touch a pillow. What a great gift that was. Yeah. So to this day, 20 years later, whenever my head hits a pillow and I think, wow, it is so soft and I get to close my eyes. What a great gift. So that's usually one thing right there um, from the trauma of our uh, residency days. And then likewise, John, the opportunity to chat with you, to be immersed in deep, meaningful thought with you is a great gift. And I thank you and I thank our listeners and above all, I thank our patients, our greatest teachers. So thank you, John. Perfectly said, thank you, Jay. And thank you all for listening to Palliative Matters today. We're looking forward to have you join us on the next episode. Have a wonderful day.